Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. beginning a new message series this morning. It's going to take us through the rest of the summer, and it is from the Old Testament book of Judges, and I'm going to title this series, Without a King, Without a King. And that title is based on a little phrase that shows up several times throughout the book of Judges. You find it in chapter 17, chapter 19, and then it's the very last verse of the very last chapter of the book of Judges. I'll put it up on the screen for you. It's Judges 21, verse 25, and it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that statement kind of summarizes for us the spiritual condition of the nation and the attitude, actually, of God's people during this time in Israel's history. Uh, The nation had flourished under their previous wise and godly leaders. Uh, If you recall, you know, there was Abraham, who was kind of the father of the nation, and then there was Moses, who was a, a, a godly leader, and he was followed by Joshua, another wonderful leader. But now Moses and Joshua have passed off the scene. They've passed away, and the people of Israel are adrift spiritually. And, and they choose to step out from under the authority of God and, and do their own thing. That, that, that phrase, they did what was right in their own eyes, that phrase shows up quite a few times throughout the book as well. But so so they, they, were, they were blessed under this wonderful leadership, and, and they were submitting and surrendering to God. But, but, but now that Joshua, now that Moses have, have passed off the scene, they're, they're kind of lost, and they just can't seem to find their way. And, and God wanted to be their king. God wanted to be their authority, but they made the conscious decision by their actions and their attitudes to step out from under God's authority, and, uh, and it led to a lot of chaos and destruction for the people. Well, if you choose not to live under the authority of the God above you, it's just inevitable that your authority will become the world around you. And that's what we see happening on the pages of the book of Judges. They stepped out from under God's authority, and and then the worldly, pagan, idolatrous influences of other people and the world system start to creep in on them, and it really does sabotage their faith. And and it takes them... This period goes on for 400 years. Judges, the book of Judges covers 400 years of Israel's history. And for the most part, they were adrift. They had, uh, again, they they were not experiencing the the blessing of God or the favor of God because they had chosen to reject God's word and God's truth. And when you and I, when the Israelites, when we turn away, or or I guess I should say when we drift away from God's word and and we push God off the throne of our lives, that throne does not remain unoccupied. Other worldly wicked forces move in to occupy that throne. And when that happens, we, we stop taking our cues for 
how to live and how to think, how to conduct our relationships, you know, how to just be the people God's called us to be. We stop thinking that way and we start modeling and resembling the culture or the society in which we live. And that's exactly what happened for the nation of Israel. And, and we're going to see just, oh man, it, it's a little hard to watch. It's going to be a little hard to read some weeks. And just page after page of this chaos and confusion and eventually destruction. Because when we step away from God and step out from under his authority, it never, ever inevitably leads to anything good. And, and we see that happening here in Judges. And, you know, that, man, that's, that's dark, isn't it? So you're saying, well, Pastor Andrew, I don't know if I want to spend the rest of my summer, you know, hearing stuff, <laughs> hearing stuff like that, you know. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. The book of Judges in the Old Testament is also a wonderful testimony of God's mercy and his grace. And we see time and time again that God being the good and loving father that he is, whenever people are willing to repent and turn from their sin and turn toward him like a loving father, he welcomes them back with open arms. And so there is some wrath and there's some judgment and there's a lot of disobedience in the book of Judges. But through it all, we see this thread of God's mercy and his grace. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the good news. And so we're going to highlight that as well. It's not all bad news. There's a lot of good news, even in this morning's message. Before we close, we're going to close on the note of mercy. All right? Well, as usual, um, when we start a new book series, I like to provide a little bit of background because we have people here at Liberty from all different stages of their spiritual life. Uh, some of you are here maybe not even giving your life to Christ yet, but you're here checking out Christianity. We've got people here this morning who've walked with the Lord for, for years. I feel very confident in saying that there's something for everybody in this series. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter where you are on the spiritual journey, you're going to find some, I think, some very profound, powerful applications from God's Word as we study it together in this series. But whenever we start a series like this, I always like to give a little bit of background just to make sure we're all at the same starting point on the same page. And so let's start by talking about the title of this book, Judges. Judges. What comes to your mind when you think of a judge? What are the images that pop into your mind? Well, I think for most Americans, when we think of a judge, we think of somebody like that. <laughs> judge Judy, right? Or somebody like her, anyway. And, and she's a judge. And actually, I think she's Jewish, too. But, but the book of Judges is not talking about Jewish judges like Judge Judy. Uh, I think most of us think of somebody, you know, in a black gown, someone seated behind a raised podium with a gavel in their hand, and they are presiding over a courtroom. That's what most of us think when we hear that word judge. But that is not really at all what the judges mentioned in this book are all about. So let me just give you a little bit of background on that. Um, the book's title is derived from the type of leadership structure that was in place during, in, as in Israel during this 400-year span, between the time of Joshua's death to the beginning of Israel's monarchy. 
uh, when they were ruled by kings. In fact, the first verse starts off after Joshua died. So, you know, if you've been with us here at Liberty, then we've kind of walked through the Bible a couple of times. But you've got Abraham, who is the, you know, the father of the nation. And then, then Moses, again, a great leader. And, and then Joshua. And then this period. Okay, 400 years of the judges. And then after the judges, you know, it picks up with, you know, King Saul and King David and, 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 and so forth. So they were not, uh, they were not uh, black robe, you know, gavel pounding judges, what we might think of. Instead, they are military heroes and or deliverers whom God raises up to rescue Israel in times of crisis. So what we're going to do over the next several weeks this summer is look at some of their lives, some of the lives of these judges. Some of them you've probably heard of. Others are a little more obscure. And we're going to learn some lessons from some of the good things they did, these judges. But we're also going to learn some lessons, some things to avoid, because a couple of them made some really bad decisions, and it, and it cost them dearly. So their lives are going to sort of serve as a warning to you and I. But the first judge doesn't actually show up until chapter 3, okay? So what I want to do this morning is just kind of give us an overview of the book in chapters 1 and 2, just to kind of lay the foundation of what the book of Judges is about. Again, so we'll all be on the same page, and, and there's really some, some pretty powerful applications right here in chapters 1 and 2 that I want us to take a look at, all right? So if you're following along in a Bible, we're in Judges chapter 1. We're going to start right there at the beginning, Judges 1, verse 1. It says, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who of us is to go up, to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. So Judges, again, picks up right where the book of Joshua left off. Um, and we did a series on Joshua last year, but just by way of review, in Joshua chapter 24, you know, he's been the great leader of Israel and Joshua makes this great speech. And actually, he, there's, a, there's a famous verse in the speech that I would guess many of you have hanging in your home somewhere. I know we do. Joshua stands up before the people, and he says, hey, we're standing in the promised land. God has given you this land, and God has commanded you to drive out all the pagan, worldly, idol-worshiping people who are living here. You know, get, get them out. Get them out. We, God does not want them to influence you in any way. So I'm charging you to, to, to run these people out of the land. Get rid of them. These Canaanites and all these other, you know, uh, idol-worshiping people. But he says to the people in Joshua 24, he says, you've got to make a choice. You've got to decide. This is the Lord's command. You've got to decide if you're going to give your life to the Lord and obey him and serve him only? Or are you going to go after these false gods of the Canaanites and all these other pagans? And then he makes that great statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? It's a great statement there. Um, so, th so this is just following right after that. This is years later. The Israelites have been, to some degree, trying to take more control of the promised land and, and get the pagan influences out of it. But we'll see, not... Completely. So if you go down to verse 4, it says, When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there that they found 
Adonibezek and fought against him. He was a, a Canaanite, one of the pagan Canaanite kings. There they found Adonibezek and, fa- and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and Perizzites. And then look at verse 6. Adonibezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And I, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, no more texting for that guy. All right? <laughs> No, but seriously, the Israelites tracked down this Canaanite king, this pagan, and they cut off both of his thumbs, and they cut off his big toes. And I, you know, I think, all oh, why? Why would you do that? That seems so random. And the simple answer is because they wanted to render him a helpless soldier. Uh, it makes it pretty difficult to, you know, to shoot a bow or to uh, hurl a spear or to brandish a sword, even to throw a punch without thumbs. It's difficult. And, and you certainly couldn't run or maneuver the way you'd want to as a soldier without big toes. And so the simple answer is, yeah, they, they wanted to render him helpless as a, as a soldier, but there is a deeper issue going on here that provides for us some insight into the rest of the book of Judges. You know, cutting off Adoni Bezek's thumbs and big toes was not an idea the Israelites got from God. Actually, God told them to either run the people out of the land or kill them. This wasn't wasn't an idea that, that they got from God. The Israelites were commanded to eliminate all the wicked influences, all these, uh, I mean, this was a pagan king of a wicked, idolatrous people. They practiced child sacrifices to their false gods and every other demonic, imaginable vice you can think of. I mean, they were wicked through and through. So God says, get them out or eliminate them. I don't want, I don't want them to be anywhere near you guys. But instead of doing that, the Israelites, they tracked down this Canaanite king and they cut off his thumbs and his toes. And again, where, where did they get an idea like that? And actually, wicked king Adoni Bezek tells us the answer in verse 7. Then Adoni Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. Now, it wasn't necessarily that God was paying him back for what he had done to those 70 other kings. What's important to note here is that the Israelites had adopted this practice of cutting off thumbs and toes from their enemies, from the wicked Canaanite people. It was a sense of, you know, hey, this is what the Canaanites are doing, so this is what we'll do. Kind of that Hey, everybody's doing it, right? So where's the, you know, you just start to see at the very beginning of the book, the Israelites stepping out from under God's authority who said, eliminate them and starting to follow the practices of the Canaanites. And it seems small, okay. I mean, a small compromise, seems just a little thing. In fact, it may even make a little sense logically. Hey, instead of killing them, Let's just turn them into slaves. You know, we can get some work out of them. But that is not what God said to do. God warned them, if you don't get them out of the land, their worldly influences are going to creep into your life. And you'll start worshiping their idols. 
and their false gods. And it's not like the people one day made a conscious decision, you know, um, we've been following God, we've been under his authority, we're, we're just going to decide to do what the Canaanites are doing. They never, it was never, it was nothing like that. You see, it was a gradual, slow compromise, little things, one thing after another, that really begins the spiritual decline of their life, of their nation, that takes it takes them 400 years to recover. I mean, they really never get back to where God wants them to be consistently until King David, 400 years later. And I would say, folks, there is a warning there for all of us. I don't, in fact, I'm sure, I've never known a follower of Jesus to just all of a sudden one day decide, you know, I've been living under God's authority and following Jesus most of my life. I don't think I want to do that anymore. I think I'm going to start doing my own thing. I think I'm going to start living uh, my life in such a way that I'm going to do whatever's right in my own eyes. Nobody just makes that conscious decision. No one falls off the cliff of godly character overnight. But I've known a lot of Christians who start to make little compromises, misplaced priorities, start to flirt with the world, one foot in, one foot out, and it eventually leads to their heart becoming cold and distant from the Lord, and they end up stepping out from under his authority, and instead of giving their life to the God above them, they start to be influenced more and more by the world around them, and they lose their effectiveness and God's favor and blessing upon their life. That's the warning, and that's what happened to the nation of Israel. And what we're going to see throughout this book of Judges is that there's this cycle of sin that takes place in the lives of the people. And you can see it right there on the screen behind me. But it, but it starts off, you know, Israel started off pretty good serving the Lord. But then Joshua died. He passed away. Little by little, they start making these compromises like we just read about in chapter 1. And they fall into sin and they fall into idolatry, which eventually leads them to be oppressed by some of these rival, wicked, pagan nations. And then they repent, they cry out to God for help, and God in his mercy, God in his grace, he raises up a judge, one of these leaders, a deliverer. And, and, it, and, it, and for a time, it gets the Israelites back on track, and then they start serving the Lord again. But then it's just a matter of time, the cycle starts over and over again. We see this throughout the book of Judges, that this cycle just continues. They can't not seem to consistently get their nation, their lives back on track spiritually because of these compromises that started in chapter 1. And whenever God raises up one of these judges, one of these deliverers, there's a time of peace and there's a time of blessing. And it may be 10 years, it may be 20 years. Actually, one of them is 80 years but for the most part, that 400-year span is riddled with Israel's defeat and their coldness toward God and their desire to be under the influence of the world rather than submit to the authority of God. And what I want you to see this morning is that the reason this keeps happening to them, again, for 400 years, we see there's this cycle that just keeps over and over again. The reason it's happening 
is because the Israelites never effectively drove out the influences, in their case, the Canaanites, the worldly influences that occupied the land. And that's what Joshua was talking about in Joshua 24. If you don't, he said, if you don't get these worldly influences away from you, then they're going to end up polluting you and, and damaging your own relationship with God. And that's exactly what happens. They never effectively drove those worldly, pagan, idolatrous people out of the land that God had promised them. And just look what happens. We're in step chapter 1 still. And these are the tribes of Israel. The Benjamites, for example, verse 21. The Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. Down in verse 27, it says, Manasseh, another tribe, Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. Verse 28, when Israel became strong, as they did under some of the judges, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely, which is what God said they should do. Go to verse 29 in chapter 1. Nor did Ephraim, another tribe, drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. Uh, neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Acho or Sidon. And, and what you see is tribe after tribe not taking God seriously when he says, man, you've got to put some distance between you and the world, between you and these influences that will pollute your faith. And when you turn over to chapter 2, we find that God shows up in the form of the angel of the Lord, and he confronts them about it. And look what it says in chapter 2, verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Why have you done this? You see, under Joshua, that didn't happen. But now you're without a king, you're without authority, you've stepped out from under my leadership. And this is what happens. In verse 3, the angel of the Lord continues, And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. In other words, you've got to choose. You've got to decide. That's what Joshua said. Choose for yourself. As for me and my house, we're going to choose the Lord. But, but you have to choose to drive them out. I'll give you the power. I'll give you the ability. But I'm not going to do it for you. You have to willfully decide to, to get rid of these worldly influences. And then he says, they will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. And of course, the application of this to the follower of Jesus Christ in the 21st century is beware of the worldly influences in your life. That's the application. Beware of stepping out from under the authority of the God above you and surrendering, your, surrendering yourself to the world around you and allowing the culture and the society to squeeze you into its mold. That's the warning. Now, I feel like I need to say this probably. Uh, you already know this. I, I, I want to say it, though. Um, the message of judges for 21st century Christians living in America, okay, the, the, the application of judges is not, hey, let's run all the pagan idol worshipers out of our land. 
okay? Or at least out of North Carolina. Let's get them out of North Carolina, send them back to California, um, okay? That, <laughs> no. There's good people in California. I shouldn't have said that. Um, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah we got to get rid of all. No, that's, that's, not, that's not the message of judges to the 21st century follower of Jesus. Yeah, the app, actually, we're not called to wipe people out. We're called to win people over. But you can't win people over if you're a part of the world, if you're a part of the system. If, if society is the one that's shaping you, and instead of God transforming you, you're not going to be a light in the darkness. You're just a part of the problem. You're part of the darkness. All right? So, so what, we're, what we're learning from chapter 1 and 2 here is, if you're a follower of Jesus, be careful. Beware. Because as these worldly influences make their way into your life, you'll stop becoming as sensitive to sin. Your, your philosophies, instead of built on God's truth, will be built on the lies of the world. How you carry out life in your relationships, your attitudes, your behaviors, instead of being driven by God's truth and God's authority, You'll just pick things up from the society and the culture around you. Listen, that's exactly what happened to these Israelites. And it's not like they decided, okay, yeah, we want to do this instead of that. No, it was a slow drift, a slow decline that eventually led to their destruction. So maybe you and I just need to think through that in our own lives. You know, um, ungodly relationships you know, that are pulling us away from the Lord, sinful habits, you're unwilling to give up, um, worldly places that you frequent, people you listen to and follow their advice, even though it's not Christ-centered, godly advice, media messages and images that you may allow to consume your mind. I was, I was encouraged, I was talking to a a guy recently who said, you know, I've got this news app on my phone, and, uh, and I used to, that's where I usually get my news, I click on this app, but the app is, now this site has so much clickbait on it, and there's just, it's so, not so much about the news anymore, it's about all these things that I, images and thoughts that I do not want to get into my mind, so I've just deleted that app completely. I don't even want to go to that website anymore, because, I mean, I didn't mean any, you know, for it to be anything bad, but man, there's just so much there that is just begging me to click on that I'm just taking the app off my phone. Well, in a very practical sense, that's the application of what we're talking about in Judges. Looking at our lives and removing influences that have become obstacles to our faith in God and, our, and living out our lives in obedience to Him under His authority instead of being squeezed into the mold of the world. And... Um, you know, none of, us, none of us live every moment of our lives under God's authority. There are occasions for all of us, myself included, when we do what is right in our own eyes instead of what's right in the eyes of God. Even the people of Israel, under Moses and under Joshua, even though they were flourishing, there were, there were those occasions where they got off track. That's going to happen to you, and that's going to happen to me as well. But for the person who has surrendered to God's authority and has a desire to live out their faith in Jesus Christ in this fallen, broken world, there's going to be a consistent pattern of growing toward obedience to Him. Moving away from those obstacles and those things that hold us back in our faith and moving toward God and allowing His power and His Spirit and His Word to transform our lives from the inside out. 
becoming more like Jesus instead of becoming more like the world. That's the application for us. And the Israelites for 400 years really just never, never really got to that point consistently where they said, okay, Lord, we want to live under your authority. We're, we're, we're going to obey you now. We're, we're done with the Canaanites and all the compromises that we've made. They never really consistently get to that place throughout the whole 400-year period of Judges. Well, with that in mind, take a look at that cycle one more time. And that cycle of, you know, serving God, drifting from God, being defeated and oppressed, crying out for God, and in His mercy, He, re, he, he forgives, serving the Lord, and then the cycle starts over and over again. And uh, that's what happens to the Israelites and judges. I guess I want to pose the question to you. Does that cycle look like your life at all? Your Christian life? Is that the way, is that the way you live as a follower of Jesus? Because if it does, it may be that you, like the Israelites, have not driven out the worldly influences you're still hanging on to some of those things. And it scares you to, to break free from them, but it's what God is calling you to do. You're just never going to get out of the cycle until you separate yourself from some of those ungodly, pagan, worldly influences that have, that have squeezed you into its mold. And with that in mind, in the closing few minutes that we have, just as one imperfect but committed follower of Jesus to another. Let me give you a few questions for self-reflection, for self-evaluation. And this is just between you and the Holy Spirit, okay? In these closing moments of our service today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to invite you to give the Holy Spirit a little room to address these questions in your life. All right? Here's the first one. Ask yourself, am I being transformed by the gospel or conformed to the world? Maybe another way to ask that question is, in your attitudes, in your behaviors, in your relationships, are you becoming more like Jesus or more like the world? How would you answer that for your life? To hearken back to the sermon series we just finished uh, on the subject of worship, we referenced several times in that series the familiar verse from Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is a great verse about worship. But during that series, I don't think I ever shared with you the, the Phillips paraphrase of Romans 12, 1 and 2 is really excellent. I've loved it for years. And I want to share it with you because it really is applicable to what we're talking about today. But here's what Paul says, Romans 12, 1 and 2, in the Phillips paraphrase. As an act of intelligent worship, give God your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. And I love that. Don't let the world form you into its mold, but let God remold you. Let him reform you into the image of his son, Jesus. 
You see, when you submit your life to God's authority, things are going to turn out better for you. Uh, there will be hills, there will be valleys, there will be struggles along the way. But over time, as you live out your life under God's authority, you're going to end up in a far better place. He's got a far better plan for your life than the world does. But you've got to choose. I have to choose. Whose authority am I going to live by? The God above me or the world around me? Each and every one of us have to choose. And, and as you choose the, the right path to live for the Lord, what happens is that, that you prove that this plan God has for you is the best plan for your life. So am I being transformed by the gospel or conformed to the world? Am I letting the world squeeze me into its mold or am I inviting God to remold me into the image of his son Jesus to reform me? Uh, second question is this, and it kind of is just a, another way of expressing the first. Are there worldly influences I am allowing to remain in my life which have become traps and snares to my spiritual health? As we've talked about it this morning, okay, we've opened God's word, and we know God's word is like a, you know, it's like a sword. It cuts us to the heart. And maybe as we've opened God's word, have been talking about this subject, the Holy Spirit has brought some things into your mind some obstacles to your spiritual health, some worldly influences that need to be eradicated from your life. They've become traps and snares for you. Well, that's exactly what God said would happen to the Israelites, and it did, right? If you go back to verse 3 of chapter 2, God says to them, they will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. And so perhaps God is using his word this morning to convict and to challenge you to remove some of those worldly influences that are holding you back from God's best in your life. Again, this is between you and the Holy Spirit. Just be honest to God. He knows already. Just be honest with Him. You got one foot in the world, one foot with the Lord, and God is, and God is urging you to be in your relationship with Him, both feet, Fully surrendered. And it's tough. Hey, <laughs> now I'm a pastor, okay? Um, so in some ways, I think uh, as a pastor, I'm not as exposed to the world as many of you are. I, you know, most of my people are Christians, and I'm, you're, you're a little isolated. But even, even for a pastor, living for the Lord and, and not allowing worldly influences to change the way you think and behave... It's a challenge. For each one of us, it's a challenge. And listen, when the world gets a foothold in our lives, a habit or, a, or an attitude or a philosophy or a behavior, it, it is very difficult to, oftentimes to break free from that. And it can be scary. Oh, you know, if I, well, if I, if I don't hang out with this person anymore, I'm going to be lonely. And if I, if, I, if I get this out of my life, I'm going to be insecure. And, you know, it's... Uh, it can be very difficult to break free from those things and as a Christian to live in this world while not being of this world. That's a challenging endeavor. Uh, and we, we kind of breezed over it in chapter 1, verse 27. But did you catch what it said about the Canaanites in the promised land? It said in verse 27, you know, the Israelites are trying to drive them out, but it says the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. 
It's not like the devil just rolls over and says, okay, I'm not welcome here. It doesn't work that way. And he, he just keeps coming back. And it, and, it, and it can be very difficult to break free. But listen, it is a winnable battle. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. God's given you the ability and the power, just like he had done the Israelites, to be victorious. But you've got to choose. You have to choose. Well, he says, uh, verse 3, they will become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. Verse 4 says, When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bakim, which means weeping. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Now, some Bible scholars say, well, you know, yeah, they were repentant, but they were sincere in their repentance because they just started doing it. Every time they repented, they just jumped right back into doing the wrong thing. So, so some Bible scholars would say, you know, that, that it wasn't really sincere, true repentance. And, they may be, and that may be true. I don't know. And we don't know the heart of anybody, you know. Um, only the Lord knows the heart. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Were they sincere? Were they not? Well, they never really made the course correction for very long. So who knows? But here's what I do know. When someone turns to the Lord, truly repentant and wanting to make a course correction and wanting to separate themselves from their sin and the world, and when they turn to God in repentance, here's what I do know. God cannot resist a repentant heart. Again, he's that loving father who is longing for his children to turn away from their sin and run back into his arms. And when that happens, listen, when we're serious about, God, I, have, I am off track here. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to move in your direction. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. God will receive you. He will forgive you and he will cleanse you of your sin. And that's the God of the Old Testament and that's the God of the New Testament. And you see them offering these sacrifices because, you know, they were convicted of their sin. They're offering these sacrifices for their sin. But how much better for you and for me, the follower of Jesus Christ today, who looked to a greater sacrifice than those animal sacrifices. God loved you and me so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to be the lasting, perfect, eternal sacrifice for our sins. And the only question is, are you and I willing to choose him? Will we choose that? Will we turn from our sin, turn to the Lord, and accept his free gift of salvation, the perfect, last, eternal sacrifice, his son, Jesus Christ? Have you opened up your life to him? Have your sins been forgiven? And some of you, many of you would say, yeah, yeah, I've done that. I, I'm, I'm a Christian. Maybe some of you say, well, I became a Christian when I was a little kid, you know. Okay, okay. Well, well, Jesus is your Savior. Let me ask you this. Is he your Lord? Is he your leader? Do you live your life under the authority of the God above you? Or has your authority become the world around you? God's calling us. God's calling his people, just like the Israelites back in the Old Testament, to be separate, to be holy, to be set apart for his service. Have you made that decision? 
to step away from the world and step into the Lord's army with both feet. Say, I am committed to the Lord. I'm holding nothing back. I repent of my sin. I want, I want to stay under the umbrella of God's authority. That's the place of blessing. That's the place of favor. And over time, when you live there, you come to find out, man, God's plan is so, God's good plan for me is so much better than the plan of the world, than the plan of the evil one, which, which always inevitably leads to destruction. Well, we just got through celebrating Independence Day here in America last, this past week, and I was reading recently about the beginnings of the Revolutionary War, and I came across this great statement that if I would have been here last Sunday, I would have shared it with you, but I'll bring it to you today. Uh, very, it's really interesting. It's recorded. Okay, this is, I'm not making this up. This is in the history books. But when the Revolutionary War started in Lexington, Massachusetts, the British army said to the colonists, okay, the Minutemen uh, militia, um, who were, by the way, uh, many of them members of, the, of God's church in Lexington. They were, they were followers of Christ, many of them. But the, the British army came to these colonial farmers, and you know, before the battle began, they made this statement, throw down your arms in the name of the King of England. And history records that these colonial farmers responded, we have no sovereign but God, and we serve no king but Jesus. And the war began. Wow, that's a great statement. And you know what? That's what God's calling you and I to. That's the kind of commitment God wants from you and from me. That's the kind of commitment that will give God room to transform our lives and bring light to this dark world. When our attitude is, we have no sovereign but God, we serve no king but Jesus. Hey, God can work through somebody like that. And no matter how far you've drifted off the path, listen, if you're willing to repent and turn to him, God will welcome you back, put you in his army, and you'll be able to make a difference for him in this dark, broken world. Let's be that kind of people. Let's be that kind of church.